0: So the title of today's sermon comes from one of the best-known verses from the book of Esther. And I've actually printed it on the front of your bulletin. If you just want to look at the front of the bulletin for just a moment, you will recall at the time of the writing of the book of Esther, at the time of that story,
1: that a decree for the destruction of the
0: Jews had been issued. And having heard of it, Mordecai comes and appeals to Esther, who is, at this point, a, uh, a, a, a queen, the queen in the household. And he reminds her of the strategic position that she has at this critical time, at this critical moment in the history of Israel. He gives these words that are printed there, for if you keep silent at this time, Relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Sometimes timing is everything. You can be at the right place at exactly the right time. You can have a good time, you can be just in time, you can be just in the nick of time. God delivers His people with exactly the right person, in exactly the right place, at exactly the right time. Even when all of the Events around a particular time may be surprising to us even if it seems to us that surely we can think of a better person we can think of a better place and a better time for something nevertheless God does it exactly on time today what I'd like us to consider how I'd like us to consider the passage today is first of all timelessness in time three judges in time and finally making the most of the time so i want to begin with timelessness in time i structured the first three sermons from the book of judges so that each of them as i preached through them culminated in describing for us the work of jesus christ it was, of course, intentional The purpose, is to make sure that we see that ultimately speaking, it is only Jesus who can save us from generational drift, generational decay. Only Jesus can save us from our tendency to disobey the law of God. Only Jesus can actually satisfy the wrath of God on our behalf. Only Jesus can actually propitiate the wrath of God. Only Jesus can actually deliver us from those who reign over us. From death and from sin and from Satan. And only Jesus ultimately and finally takes care of our burning and wipes tears away from our eyes. Human judges anticipate him. Human judges typify the work that he will do, but he alone, although they are saviors with a small s, he alone is the one who is saviour with a capital S, and he is timelessness in time. He is the eternal one outside of time who comes in time, at the right time, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son to redeem the eternal, the timeless Son who comes to exactly the right place at exactly the right time to effect the perfect deliverance. And not only that, but He will return at exactly the right time. It often seems to us that God's timing could be better than it actually is in our experience. In our passage today, we read that the people of Israel prior to Othniel being raised right spent eight years in the oppression, eight years subject to this evil king. And then we read that they spent 18 years subject to Edom, the king of Moab, before God raised up David. Why not cut those in half? I'm sure if we were living in the intervening time, it would have seemed to us better for God to have raised up one of these judges, one of these deliverers, at year four instead of year eight, at year nine, instead of year 18, before this happened or that, all thing happened as a result of the oppression of the king, but the lesson for us, and I'm going to use another story that I hope will, will help us to see this clearly, the lesson for us is that Jesus, the Savior Savior, who came in exactly the right place. And I will say then this, if you do not know this Jesus as your Savior, now is the right time. Today is the right day. This is the right time to believe and to trust in Jesus for salvation. And so, as we said at the beginning of this study this consideration of the book of Judges, the 400-year period of Judges should ultimately direct us to Christ. They should point us to Jesus and help us to see him, even though it was some 1,500 to 1,000 years before his coming. But in fact, the book of Judges took place in space, and in time, and God used the three judges that we read about today, in time, to deliver and to save the people of Israel. In other words, think of two things here. the Nehud, and, and Shamgar didn't say to themselves, well, God alone is Savior after all. So we'll just wait to see how God delivers. We'll wait to see what God is going to do in light of these oppressive enemies that are around us. They didn't say, well, God will send Jesus, a Savior, in 1,500 years, and it would be presumptuous of us to act prior to god's timing instead they acted in time they battled in time they went to warfare in their time and though of course we live in a different time there are lessons for us to glean from each of these judges so what i'm going to do is just consider briefly each one of the judges and the stories that are set before us and we we'll work through them one at a time, beginning with Afniel. Afniel is the most paradigmatic example that we have of a judge, if you will. This is how the system works. So the system was described for us in chapter two and going into chapter three, and then we have this very clear pattern set up with Afniel to show us the four parts of the cycle The four, if you will, sections of the Not So Merry go around, and it is set in motion, and as it concludes, Israel experiences a 40 year period of rest as a result of the deliverance that Raphneel accomplishes. He for us serves as an example, he is the framework without detail. And we might, be able, we might be tempted to see that in kind of a negative way, kind of to right over this story, because there doesn't seem to be a lot of color involved in this story, certainly not as much as there appears to be in the story with Adam coming right after him. But I think that would be a mistake. I think just instead of seeing him as a simple pattern, what we ought to see in Otna, is kind of the standard. Kind of God saying, this is how it ought to work. This is what this should look like during this... Period. we've actually already been introduced to Aniael I didn't read this section of chapter one for us when we when I preached on it a couple of weeks ago but here's the introduction that we get to Athniel. there's verse eleven of chapter one if you're interested from there they went against the inhabitants of debir. the name of debir was formerly of Sephir, and Caleb said he who attacks of at Sephir and captures it. I will give him Aksah, my daughter, for a wife. And Ophiel, the son of Naz, Caleb's younger brother, captured him. And he gave him Aksa, his daughter, for a wife. And I won't continue the reading right now. But it turns out she's a very wise woman. She's a very wise wife who helps them to secure a portion of the land that has water and will provide well for their family. And so you've a man who acts and who conquers because he is empowered by the Spirit of God in his life, or the, the Spirit of God residing upon him. His defeat of a man, whose name actually means push on, the doubly evil, shows us this. It shows us that God's system of the judgment can actually work. This system can actually function to deliver God's people. The problems will come because of the persistent and repetitive sin of the Israelite. And the problems will also come because not all the judges will function with the clarity and the faithfulness with which Othniel operates in this story. He's steadfast in what he does in his work of delivering Israel. So we then move from this kind of standard pair, Othniel, to the story of Abraham, Remarkably graphic, incredibly detailed, so detailed that we might be tempted to cry out TMI on this one. Too much information for me going on here. I didn't need to know all of these details. I didn't need to know Bring the sword. I didn't need to know about the excrement coming out, about the dung coming out of him. Our writer, as we move along through the book, is going to highlight various aspects of the judges as we move. Description of the execution of a king. Sometimes what we'll have highlighted for us is the struggle that a particular judge has with their calling and whether or not they can actually function as a judge. Other times we won't get that at all. Like we know nothing about his calling from this section and nothing about Shamgar's calling. We'll know a lot about Gideon's and see that struggle. Sometimes we'll see strategic battle plans that are developed and in this one. We get this, if you will, up close and very personal uh, story of the actual assassination of the oppressor king, Egon, by a lefty. There's a wonderful and simple truth that is illustrated in the way that these two stories are set next to one another. The story of Omnia and the perfect clear framework This is how it is supposed to work. And the next story with excrement and dung and buried swords. The two of those things are next to one another. And part of that is to remind us that God works in the big picture. That indeed he does provide the structure, the framework, by which we can understand life, by which we can have hope of his deliverance. But it's not as if God only works by outlining things. As if God only says, "Okay, look." Well, in the big picture, I'm sovereignly in control of everything. But as for the details, you work that. Out. Instead, I think both of these things, situated next to one another, help us to see it. Yes, the big picture is sovereignly controlled by God, as well as an intimate and small detail picture that we see given to us here in David. He is God of the details in your life and in the life and times of the Judges as well. So this big picture message of the book of Judges is certainly that the gracious God who is has and will deliver his sinful people despite their rebellion. But it's more than that. It's that God will work in the details through unexpected, unusual People, unusual circumstances. To put this in, in New Testament terms, and there are a lot of ways we can put this in New Testament terms, God doesn't only choose the wise. God doesn't only choose those who are the strongest physically to accomplish His will. Because the foolish and weak instruments have a way a unique way of showing his glory and his power. That the wise and powerful ones are a little bit hard to see God in them. And thus we have Peter He is a Benjamin. which if any of you are named Benjamin, or if you have children named Benjamin, you certainly know that Benjamin means the son of the right hand. So immediately you're kind of caught by this. We've got a Benjamin who is, in fact, a left handed now, in other places in Scripture, even in other places in the book of Judges, we're going to see that we shouldn't understand uh, that all Benjamin's were only right-handers. In fact, there were other lefties, there were who were ambidextrous. But lefties, then as now, simply are not the norm. And so, because they They make really good pitchers. They make good tennis players. They make good soccer players. They make good basketball players. Because you don't see it often. It's not normal. even though you know, even though you know this person is a lefty, nevertheless, you guard to the right.
1: You guard to the right,
0: thinking they're going to go to the right, and then they go to the left. Lefties are unique. And perhaps... This is what allows him to succeed in the scheme and the plan that he's come up with. Perhaps it is the case that, of course, you you strap the sword on the opposite side, which from the hand that you're going to pull it out. So perhaps the fact that he's left-handed, allowing him to strap this sword that he has fashioned onto his right side, maybe guards are less likely to look on the right-hand side for a bulge for any kind of a concealed weapon. Perhaps he's able to pull it out more quickly because you're watching the right hand and it's the left hand that is in motion. Aether is part of the, if you will, extra humiliating experience of being part of the delegation whose job it is to... Bring Israel's tribute to the very fat king who has established himself in, of all places, the city of Palms. And the city of Palms is probably the city of Jericho or right near Jericho, so it's kind of an insult to injury here. The first city that God gave them when they came into the land is now a city where uh, this very fat king has established himself. Now, when we read that was very fat, it sounds not like a microaggression. it sounds like a macro-aggression in our words. You can't really say that about someone, you can't say that about anyone, you can't say that about this person. It is possible that this is simply a way of saying, yeah, he's he's really fat, and that's how this story is going to play out. It is also possible to read that slightly differently and to recognize that when you would say that a king or a rich person is fat, you're not just necessarily commenting on them physically, but you might be making a comment in addition to that about their status morally, that they have become humble, they have become self-satisfied, that they think they have stored up and possessed Others, or there may be in here as well, a double entendre. that this is a fattened calf ready for the slaughter. Now, please understand this. It's it's hard for us, and we know this, it's hard for us to read judges in our modern day to try and apply to it our standards of behavior. The writer does not want you to spend one minute feeling sorry for any of the kings who are being slain. You are not supposed to go, oh, poor Eglon. He is not looking for compassion to be exercised to this wicked man. You are not supposed to show any more compassion for them, any more sorrow for their death than you would show than you would feel for the death of the wicked dictators of the world, for one of the evil people of the world. You're not supposed to show any more compassion towards them than if you had lost somebody to ISIS, and you saw those very same people killed you. You wouldn't feel compassion, you wouldn't Sorry about those guys. And our writer does not want us to feel any any of that about this king. Now the details of the story, of course, are before us. We can trace those. They're valuable, and they allow us to kind of get a perspective on this and see how God worked this amazingly precise assassination through this man. And we can see the nature of the man in the way that this worked out. You can see that Abel was a man who was willing to be used of God. He was brave. It took a lot of courage to come up with this plan. It took a lot of courage to execute the plan that was before him, and he was skilled at developing the plan. He employed strategy, and he was, of course, calm in the execution of it, in the way that things played out. And the timing throughout the story is perfect. Everything happens in exactly the time in exactly the way that it has to take place for this to work out. Even to the point of verse 26, a escaped while they delayed The locked door makes them think he's in the bathroom. The dung coming out makes them think, ah, there's a smell. We know what he's doing. We can delay. We don't want to go in right now. All of the timing works out in this story. And initially, we might get confused and think, well, Ahab is some kind of a lone book, but he's not. He's a leader. And after the killing, then he sounds the shofar, the trumpet, as it says in our version, the shofar, and he rallies the people in verse 28, and he said to them, Follow after me, for the Lord has given your enemies, the Moabites, into your hand. Jesus will similarly beckon his people. He will similarly call his people to follow him as he builds his kingdom.
1: And through Ahab's
0: in time action, Israel enjoys then 80 years of rest. And our third judge, who gets one single verse, as of course Shandar. Now, we are not supposed to be able to piece together all of the details of his life. The, the intention of the writer of Judges was not to say, you fill in the blanks for the history of Shankar. for that intention. He would certainly have given to us more information about him. Instead, we see that God can work even through this relatively unknown man with a weapon that is not a weapon. God can deliver his people from enemies. And we've kind of spanned here in these three sets of enemies. Enemies from the east, from the south, from the west. God will deliver through these judges whom he has raised up. Now I'm going to try to personalize this for us. It's hard to just take care of it. And to extract the character traits from them and apply them, it's much safer when you can do that by corresponding it with other places in Scripture that are clear about these things. But in personalizing this,
1: what I want to remind us of
0: is that we are called in the Book of Ephesians to make the most of the time because the days are evil. Esther was made clean. God's providence for such a time as that. The time was roughly 500 BC. And she was put in that space for exactly that time. And Athiel and Ehud and Shambar were uniquely stationed, uniquely fashioned by God, and equipped with the spirit of God for such a time as that, which is about 1400 BC to 1250 BC or so. You are uniquely stationed and fashioned and equipped by the Spirit of God for service, for action in such a time as this. You are exactly the right person, in exactly the right place, in exactly the right time, equipped by God for service. These people, these judges, the wives in the case of and Esther as well, they serve as examples for us. They serve as examples of showing to us their faith by works. They don't make a profession. They don't make a confession. They are doing in Acts 2 section. They're, they're showing, like Rahab, their faith by the things that they do. And thus they are serving as an encouragement to us to make the most of the situation and the time in which God has placed you. Now, obviously, our warfare has changed. And the weapons of our warfare have changed. Remember that Jesus would not even allow Peter to lock off the ear of the servant of the high priest. No, no. This is not the time for that. This is not the age for that. There was a time for that. Back when Shandar was hanging around. That was a good time for that. This is now not that time. This is a time of the wrath of God being restrained. During this time, you have a different set of weapons with which to strike the blow. Our warfare is a different warfare, but unreached nations remain. Unbelievers remain. Thorns remain. Oppressed people remain. Impoverished people remain. Opportunities in time abound for you to strike a blow for the kingdom of God. This is our time. This is your time. Perhaps it's a personal battle with some thorny, some persistent sin issue in your life. Now's the time. Perhaps you have before you an opportunity, an opportunity to share the gospel, an opportunity to serve someone in need, to take a step of faith in a ministry that seems daunting. I got a great story from one of our members, one of the women here in the church, just last week, of taking a step into a ministry that was unknown, and the result of which immediately. Were tears and a sense of incompetency and inability to handle the situation that was before her. And she could have walked away. But she asked people to pray and step into the battle. Perhaps you simply like to pray more diligently. You like to pray more diligently for yourself. Enjoy God. Maybe you'd like to pray for others more than you do. Well, the battle is upon you, when the alarm sounds. Then the battle is upon you. The show sounds. The question is, will you rally? Will you rally at that point if that's what you're trying to do? And get up and pray. It's one of the weapons of your warfare. God brought salvation to the world. Through, not some super strong Samson-like judge, but through a a naked man hanging on a cross with no weapon. But it was full of the Spirit of God. God used spirit-filled, left-handed, oxbow-wielded men to save you in times past. Surely, surely, he can use you today to give a cup of water in his name. And so, may we be, in addition to those who see the beauty of Christ, who work on our behalf, May we be those who profess, that and are likewise doers of work. Father, that's our prayer. We pray that we learn well. We recognize that we're not supposed to exemplify a reaction as described in the book of Judgment. That is clearly not what we're supposed to do. And yet we are called to act in faith in this world with wisdom and with courage, and with fortitude, with faith and trust in you. And so we pray that you would empower us to do so. We pray that you would give us eyes to see the
1: opportunities that are around us, and the way you have particularly fashioned us.